We live in a rapidly changing world, don't we? A rapidly changing society. And you know, I think a a lot of times in the story, the history of America, you could say, we live in a rapidly changing time, and that might have been mostly a positive statement, right? We might be thinking of innovation, we might be thinking of of progress, and yes, even in innovation, even in progress, you know, there's transition, there's change, sometimes issues, people can kind of get left behind in that, and and so even in positive, there can be some negative, But, but I think today, when we say that we live in a rapidly changing time, I I don't think positive feelings are rushing into everybody's soul. I I don't think people are thinking today in America about progress and and innovation. Maybe a word that would come to mind is the word doubt. Doubt doubt the future, doubt the direction. And and what's interesting, and I, I don't know this for a fact, but I would feel like maybe... People in all, from all walks of life, people on all sides of all the issues would all be experiencing the same doubt, w- wondering what's happening, where, where are we going? And you know, I think we need to stop and remember, there's, there's probably some truth to this in every generation. Doesn't every generation kind of think we're dealing with the biggest, we're dealing with the worst And there's no doubt, every generation has issues, every generation has challenges, there's things abroad, there's things domestic. Every generation is marked by some things. But but right now in our story, there are things going on in America that, that really are genuinely unique. It's not just about more or less, it's it's kind of like a unique place in the story of America. And I think it creates some of this doubt, this fear. Where are we going? What are we doing? What's happening? Just think about some of the things that are going on around us every day, all the time. Did you know that in the United States, $3,075 is spent every single second? Imagine that, $3,075 spent every second of every minute, of every hour, of every day, all through the year, every year, $3,075 a second is spent on porn. Do you realize how little that expresses the consumption of porn? So much of it's free. That, that doesn't even represent the amount of involvement we have in that. In 2015, we saw the largest surge of murders in the United, United States that we have seen in over 50 years. And, and while the statistics for 2016 are not finished, they're not final, we, we already know it's well ahead of 2015. From from 1986 to 1999, each year we saw a decrease in the number of suicides taking place. But every single year since 2000, it's gone up and up and up to where it's now one of the leading causes of death among teens and young adults. Not a statistic or or a fact, but would we disagree with Jeffrey Kluger who wrote in an editorial, he's one of the editors for Time magazine, when he said that Americans are gorging on anger. Would we disagree with that? 
heroin and, and opioids have reached a level they're, they're in the news every single week, and every single week the word crisis is being used. That's kind of interesting because it's, it's not like heroin's new on the scene. Not like we just discovered drugs, and, and, and yet we're reaching a crisis level of overdoses and fatalities in the United States. And I don't know about you, I, I, I hear of heroin or heroin addiction or, or heroin overdoses, and I, my mind just kind of runs to some dark alley in a big dark city that we've all chosen not to live in, right? Do you know right here in Chesterfield County, not... This, this number doesn't include what's going on in Prince George or Colonial Heights or Petersburg or Richmond. Just Chesterfield County since January 1st, four months, January 1st to the end of April. In Chesterfield, we've had 50 overdoses, 12 of them being fatal. I was in the home of one of those overdoses. And I'll tell you something, folks, as I drove up to the neighborhood, as I drove up to the house, as I saw the person laying there on the floor, none of it looked like a heroin overdose. None of it looked like this is where this happens and this is what goes on. Marriage, a a leading indicator. Whatever you believe about marriage, however you want to define marriage, whatever your experience with marriage, you cannot change this statistical fact. Marriage is the leading indicator for the health, security, and prosperity of an individual. Marriage is a leading indicator for the strength of an entire community. And yet, this past year, we reached, for the first time in the history of the United States, we are at the lowest rate ever for people getting married. And nobody thinks we've bottomed out. That's a trend. It's going to keep getting lower and lower. And while all of these things are... Are you having fun yet? This is kind of fun, isn't it? Let's get coffee and a donut. And and while all these things are going on all around us, I know there's a lot of us that have gathered here to, in here today, and we'd say, and, and yeah, boy, America is growing increasingly anti-Christian. I read a, an article the other day. It was kind of interesting. Uh, it was an article by an atheist that was mocking the idea of, of, of America being anti-Christian. It was mocking you and me, kind of crying in our soup. Oh, America's against us. America's against us. And and, and this guy was pretty passionate about his view on this. He had over, you ready for this? 200. He had over 200 illustrations or reasons why America's not anti-Christian. It was really kind of impressive, the list he put together. I, I didn't agree with all of it, but you know what? From his perspective, I could understand why he would, why he would mock us, thinking that America's anti-Christian. You know, just things like little stories and facts like this. Millions of people will walk in and out of a church door today, and none of us will pay any price for that. We won't experience any consequence for that. The, the airwaves, TV, radio are filled with Christian broadcasting. There's no lack of that in America. And, and one thing I thought real interesting, you and I probably would not look at it from this perspective, but standing in his shoes, I can see why he would say this. He, he said the government and our politicians still to this day cater to the Christian bloc much more than any other religion, 
and certainly more than atheists. Now again, do I entirely agree with that statement? Not really, but, but I can see why he would say that. I can see what he is viewing and would say, what are you Christians talking about? The government bows at your feet. It constantly is trying to understand you and, and, and get you. I don't know if I agree with that entirely, but I, I can see from his perspective. And, and, and so he would say, hey, it, it's not against you. But what I would respond to that is, America's turn against Christianity has happened so fast and is so recent, I, I don't think we can put the measurables on it yet. There's not a list of statistics we can point to. But here is a fact. You know it. You, you know what's going on in the news. You, you, you read the stories. Here is a fact. And it's not a more or a less. It's the first time in United States history. You can be arrested. You can be fined. And you can be fired for nothing more than your Christian beliefs. And not some new, crazy, cultish Christian belief, beliefs that we've always had. Beliefs we had when we came to this country over 200 years ago. That the things that have always been there. You, you can now be in trouble for that. that. That is a reality. And that's why I would say, yeah, we live in a culture that is moving very quickly away from Christianity. What is it going to mean to follow Christ in America. What's that going to mean in 2018? What's that going to look like in the, in the 2020s and beyond? You know, what, what is maybe a new issue for you and I to think through, a new challenge for us, is not new. Might be new feeling for us, but it's, it's not new. I mean, did not Jesus, I mean, at the very beginning of Christianity, did, not, did he not say over and over in the Gospels, listen, if you love me, then the world is going to hate you. Did he, did he not tell us that? As a matter of fact, he said, hey, listen, for some of you, being hated is going to be the best opportunity because some of you are going to be killed. So this, is, this has always been the case. There is a significant amount of writing all through the New Testament about how you and I approach this, how we strategize it, how we move through it. And by the way, folks, it's not by crying in our soup. It's not by saying, woe is me. It's not by being offended. It's not by, you know, crawling into a corner and shivering. No, man, we got a sense of purpose. we got a, a sense of direction. The, the Scripture guides us and writes all the way through. As a matter of fact, uh, two great books, two great letters in the New Testament are those of Peter. Peter addresses this a lot. These are major themes in his letters. As a matter of fact, go ahead and turn there now uh, to, to Peter. The quickest way to get there, just go to the end of your Bible. End of your Bible, Revelation, and then start backing up. You'll go through some little tiny books, Jude, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John, and there's Peter. Okay, so go to the end and start backing up. You'll run into Peter pretty quickly. And look at 1 Peter chapter 4. Now, I'm not going to read this passage. I'm going to read another one in a moment. But I'm referring to, to chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. You might just want to look down there at it and gaze with it. And I do want to throw out a few points. And, and the reason, I just want to create a quick backdrop. It kind of gives me a way of preaching on two passages when I'm only doing one. But, but give us some specific background at how detailed and how specific God and His Word is at how you and I walk through a world. Listen, that's not just against Christianity, but in a world that's decaying 
In, in a world that is declining, in a world that is dying, how do you and I walk through that? And, and as you look down there at verses 12 to 19, look up here. I've got a, a couple of points. I want to make out just some quick bullet points as we look at this passage. Uh, I want you to see again the specifics of what God says. He says, first of all, listen, don't be surprised that a sinful world is broken. I think that's really a very good word for the American Christian. I I think we've kind of tricked ourselves into believing because we really have had a pretty incredible country, haven't we? We really do enjoy a great story here in America. And I think we somewhere along the way forgot this isn't actually heaven. You, You don't help yourself walk through the week ahead when you're anticipating that your job place should be very similar to heaven. God says, what are you thinking? It's not heaven and it's not going to be heaven. This planet is not not heaven. So let's quit acting like it is. It is a sinful world. It is a broken world. And that is what we should be anticipating, preparing for, prayed up and ready for. Number two, brokenness can be a test for our faithfulness to God's way, isn't it? Man, folks, as all this disobedience is going on behind me, that becomes a great backdrop for what obedience looks like, doesn't it? I mean, if the whole world is lying, everybody lies, then me trying to tell the truth ought to really kind of leap off the page, shouldn't it? Light is really bright with darkness as a backdrop. Man, when the whole world is sexually immoral then sexual morality ought to really stand out, right? You know, what's, you know, when you think about sexual immorality, what's even wrong in America anymore? Is there anything we would say that is wrong? Not much. <laughs> very, very, very little. And even then we'd be kind of squeamish about it. Well, that's probably, that's probably not right, but you know, each their own. I mean, there's just so little we would even say is, is wrong. So, folks, what guides us? Does the standard of the world guide us or does God's word guide us? Do do I live by everything going on around me? I mean, think about it, folks. You and I today can actually be pretty sexually immoral. And then look at the world. I'm not as bad as that. I must be holy. The world's not the standard we're being judged by. Remember, what is the world? It's a dying, decaying Why am I setting my standard as something that's dying and decaying? Shouldn't I be setting the standard by life and goodness and and holiness? So, you know, brokenness is a great place for you and I to try to live for the Lord. Number three, suffering can lead to appreciation for what Christ endured for me. You know, we, we, we think a lot about how we live for Christ, how we suffer for Christ. You know what, remember something, folks. Christ lived for you. We say a lot, Christ died for us, right? He also lived for you. He also suffered in living for you. And so when I experience some of that, what should happen first and foremost is I think, man, this hurts. Christ must have really loved me. I'm a part of this world. I'm born into this world. He wasn't. He had no reason to, but he did. He did experience that suffering for me. It it gives us an opportunity to appreciate. Number four, suffering is an opportunity to live for him and draw on the strength of his resurrection power. And folks, there's a profound opportunity for when we're hurting, when we've been punched in the nose and we get up and we go out there again to live for him. Boy, when you read 
through the New Testament, maybe some of the most profound character qualities that are defined the Christ follower are endurance, perseverance. It's living in a suffering world that gives us that opportunity to do that, to draw on his power, live for him. Number five, I love this one because God's very practical. Make sure your suffering's not your own wrong. You know, we can kind of get all caught up and caught up in how we're, we're suffering for Jesus. Well, you know what? If I'm joining the sin, then I'm going to join the suffering and the problems, right? I'm going to join the consequences for that. I think also in this idea, we also need to consider that sometimes we are, we're, maybe we're going out in the world. And I'd like to think that's, this isn't a big problem in here. But, but, but let me say it anyway. We think we're going out there to live for Jesus. And maybe sometimes what we're doing is just being annoying for Jesus. You know, maybe what we're doing sometimes is just being really mean and judgmental for Jesus. Listen, by and large, if you walk into a group of people and you're real mean, they're not going to like you. By and large, they're going to avoid you. By and large, they're going to attack you. Well, I don't know about you. I don't like being avoided. That hurts my feelings. Sad, Randy. You know, if they attack me, that really hurts my feelings, right? But, but maybe sometimes I'm being attacked... Or I'm being avoided, not because of how faithful I am living for Christ, but because I'm just mostly being annoying for Christ. There is a difference. We should think through that. Number six, we have a hope in the future while the unbeliever has none. I love that God reminds us to have this mentality. You know, folks, as you and I go out and live in this world where there's this porn, there's this suicides, there's this murder, there's the, the heroin overdoses. Remember, the unbeliever's going out into that also. They don't think that's fun. They don't, hey, this is all great what's going on around me. And they have, all they have is America. All, all they have is this community. At least you and I can look forward to and think about a heaven, right? Man, this is horrible. This is hard. But I, I keep seeing, I keep looking toward, I keep thinking about heaven. The unbeliever doesn't have that at all. I think God's saying here, hey, stop and think about how hard it is for them. No wonder they're in a nasty mood. And number seven, and of course almost any passage is going to end this way. Man, we've got to trust God. When it's hard, when it hurts, when we're not getting a lot of kudos, man, you've got to go back, I trust the Lord, I trust the Lord. He's good, He's in control. And so these things, again, I didn't read the passage, we didn't really develop that, but these are the kinds of things that God is saying as you and I live in a world that is declining, we live in a world that doesn't necessarily always want to see you live for Jesus, do you see how specific it is? It talks about our mentality, it talks about our actions, it talks about our expectations. None, nothing here said, oh, man, it's awful out there. Y'all just gather together in church and just cry. You gather together and, and go out into the world and just act hurt. No, we're not, hey, this is where we are, this is what's going on, here's how we engage it. So kind of with that as a backdrop, let's go ahead now and look at a passage where, where I think we see some great ideas about how you and I live where we live. First Peter chapter 3, you're already in chapter 4, right? So it shouldn't take five minutes to get to chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 13, First Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Now who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. Listen, by and large, if you're a person that is doing good, people generally don't attack that a whole bunch. 
So if we kind of give ourselves to really doing good, hey, we're going to reap the reward of that. And if people do attack us even while we're doing good, well, then God's going to reward you. I mean, we really don't lose here, do we? We really don't lose. So that's kind of how it starts off here. Even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So do not worry. Did you hear that? In the world in which you live, stop. Stop stop worrying. Stop fretting. Don't be afraid of their threats. Instead, here's what you and I do. Worship. Worship with everything you are. Worship with everything you got. You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always, every single time, wherever you are, whoever the person is, be ready to explain it. Be ready to explain the hope that you have. Verse 16. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Boy, I think, not all of us, I think some of us need to remember that. We kind of go out there as warriors. We're ready to, you know, take names, right? (laughs) We're ready to bowl people over, show them what sinners they are. What do you expect a sinner to be? Hey, folks, you and I are filled with the Spirit, and we still sometimes sin, don't we? Well, what do you expect somebody without the Spirit to do? God says, hey, listen, I'm not, I've not called you to go out there and, and, and knock people over and judge them and condemn them and show them how awful they are. Be gentle, man. Understand where they live. How do you expect them to be doing well? Be gentle. Be respectful uh, of who they are. See, I think we sometimes, as a group anyway, we ignore that a lot. Remember, uh, where am I? What verse am I on? 16? Okay, well, let's just start over. Do this in a... Oh, there it is. Gentle and respectful way. I just lost my mind. Uh, Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it's better to suffer for doing good if that's what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. You know, folks, if you and I live for Christ in this world, it's going to get a response. And it won't always be positive, right? But listen, let's not get too pessimistic today. It won't always be negative either. Remember what we talked about last week? Hey, sometimes if you and I are going out there and living for Christ and doing good, there will be some, I don't know how many, but there will be some who will end up when they get in bed at night looking up to heaven and praising our Father. There will be some who claim Jesus as their Savior. That's pretty good, isn't it? So it's not all bad. It's not going to only be bad responses. We can get good ones. But yes, today we're kind of focused on maybe some of those negative responses that we get to living for Christ. And you know, folks, something you need to remember. Because, man, when we start personalizing this, it gets harder and we get angrier. But we got to not take it personal, even though it feels intensely personal. You know, when you, walk, when you join the team or you walk into the classroom or the, the workroom there, do you know you don't have to attack anybody? You don't have to confront anybody? You don't have to do anything wrong? You're just good. You're just living for the Lord. You're just filled with the Spirit. Do you understand? Your presence brings conviction into somebody else's life. Just you being you can make somebody else feel guilty. What do you do when you feel convicted and guilty? Well, I hope you fall on your knees and say, Lord, help me. (laughs) But sometimes when we feel guilty, we kind of try to remove ourselves from the situation, right? Listen, if you make me feel guilty, I'm going to attack you or I'm going to avoid you, one or the other. 
And, and, and that's what's happening when, when people are around us sometimes is we're just, we're not doing anything right or wrong. We're just living for the Lord. That brings conviction. So then they attack, they avoid. They probably don't even fully understand what's happening. We got, we've got to understand what's happening though, right? And not make a difficult situation even worse by taking it personal. And we all understand while it feels very personal, but it's not personal. So this passage we just read, I think there's like four ideas at least that kind of we should be working with, we should be engaging with as we try to enter tomorrow and and walk through this world faithfully for Jesus Christ. The first thing we need to do is, man, we we need to obey God and we need to do good, right? That's really kind of two ideas, but I made it one. We need to obey God and we need to do good. Listen, the whole world around us may be telling, telling lies, but we really need that. That's all the more why we've got to work at telling the truth. We've got to tell the truth and we've got to make sure that in our relationships, there's not mistrust being built. There's not walls being built. There's not, I'm trying to hide something being built. And then we don't suffer the consequences of building those kinds of relationships, Right? And we can just go on down the list of, of rules. You know, the thing to remember, folks, is that when, when God instructs us in his word, these aren't rules to keep you and me out of heaven. They're, they're not rules to keep us from having fun. They're ways to live life. They're ways to live life in a path of peace, ways to make life work. So we obey God. We struggle at it sometimes. We fail at it sometimes. Praise God for his forgiveness. Praise God for his grace that says I can start over in the morning, right? But that is our goal. It's to obey God. And folks, the more we obey, we don't necessarily insulate ourselves from suffering and from problems. But we do raise ourselves above a lot of it, right? And while we're seeking to be obedient, we also seek to, to do good. We seek to be the one to bring donuts, we, we, we seek to be the one to, to listen. The one who offers an encouraging word, a positive word. You, 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 there's no lack of negative words in our culture, is there? Folks, there's not even a lack of negative words in the church. Well, sometimes it has to be said. You know what? I promise you somebody will say it. I promise you. You do not have, well, if I don't say it, it's not going to be known. Or, or I say it better than everybody else. I, I promise you it'll get said. Remember, we're rising above just the current issue and problem. We're actually going somewhere. We're trying to serve. Well, we're not trying to survive. We're trying to thrive for Christ in a world that's dying, right? Be the one who speaks positive. Be the one who has an encouraging one. Be the one that's there to help. The one that, that, that volunteers. Be the one that's doing good. Will that insulate you from attacks? No. It'll insulate you from a lot of them. And the ones you still get, well, God rewards you because God's good and he loves it when he watches you trying to do good, right? So we we just got to start with a real simple philosophy. As I go out into this world that is decaying and dying, my goal is not to cry. My goal is not to throw stones at how awful they are. My goal is to, I'm going to obey God and I'm going to do good. And then the second thing we do, man, count, count yourself blessed. Now, this is hard. This is a hard one right here. But every now and then we need to stop and say, hey, listen, if I'm seeking to live for Christ and it's bringing attack, then would that not be some evidence that I am actually living for Christ? Isn't that kind of encouraging? I mean, don't we all kind of doubt ourselves sometimes? Man, am I, am I doing this well? Am I living for the Lord? Does anybody know? Does anybody care? 
hey, you know what? Actually, attack can be a form of evidence that we really are living for him. Aren't you glad God doesn't say, go out into the world and find somebody to attack you? Okay, you're not to go out there and rustle up business for the suffering industry. You know, it didn't say that. I don't have to go looking for But folks, when it comes to me, that can actually be evidence. Hey, I'm living for the Lord, and that's encouraging to know. You know I, let me flip this around, and maybe it'll make sense. If I've been a believer for, for a pretty long time, say over five years, and nobody really in, around my sphere of influence, you know, the people I, I'm, I'm around day in and day out, if, if people don't really know that I'm a Christian or don't care that I'm a Christian... That should be a little bit concerning, right? You know, I'm not saying if nobody's attacking you, you need to be doubting whether you're living for the Lord and go home and start over. Go home and receive Jesus again because you're probably lost. No, I'm not saying that. But I am saying if you've lived 5, 10, 15, 20 years for the Lord among unbelievers and not a one of them cares... That might say that you're living for the Lord. Your light's not so bright. And and that should be a concern. Because that's what we've been charged to do. To be a bright light against a backdrop of darkness. And, And perhaps what I've done is I'm following Christ in a way that I've blended in with the world. And I'm kind of camouflaged. Yeah, you won't get attacked. But I think when he returns, you won't find that such a good thing to be camouflaged. And we want to live clearly for the Lord. And that's actually the third point. (laughs) We want to live clearly for the Lord. I love verse 15. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. You got your Bible. You should underline that one. You should memorize that one this week. I read it. I said, worship the Christ as Lord in your life. Some of your translations may say, set apart Christ as Lord in your life. Set them apart in your heart. You know, folks, this, this statement kind of really is, kind of comes back to our cliche, make Jesus number one. And because it's a cliche, because it's kind of simple, it kind of passes in one ear and out the other. We go, yeah, 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 I know. Jesus number one. Man, that's a, that's a huge issue to do in life. It's an issue that you and I have to take on every single day because I got a lot of things going on in my heart. I got Jesus in my heart, I, I got my wife in my heart, and kids, and a grandchild, and, and, and I've got my job, and I, got, I mean, there's just a lot going in there that, that I really care about, that's really important to me, that I'm going to pour a lot of effort into, and I've even got some selfish stuff in there, right? I mean, I really know what I want and need, and not all of that I'm going to say out loud. There's just a lot going on in my heart. And so Jesus says, hey, listen, before you head out into that world, make sure that Christ is clearly distinguished as number one in your heart. Notice what that is, folks. That's not that Jesus is at the top of your priority list. We, We have really done a disservice to what it means to follow Christ and say, well, here's my priorities. God, number one, family, number two, church, work, whatever. That's not what God said. He didn't say have a real good working priority list and just make sure Jesus is at the top of it. He said set apart Christ as Lord in your life so that as people watch and observe you, it's not even clear there is a number two. You're living for one thing, Jesus Christ. And by the way, folks, when I'm living for Christ, that really will put in order everything else under that. When I'm just trying to make Jesus one of the things I'm doing, oh yeah, the most important, but just one of the things, it's still going to get disordered. 
it's still going to get messed up because this whole priority list thing is a real game that we're not very good at. Set apart Christ. Folks, you know what? You went through issues this past week that you could have worked through cleaner and faster and quicker if you had one guiding question. How do I start this? How do I respond to this? How do I handle this with one goal in mind so that when I'm done, it's clear that Christ is Lord in my heart? That's it. That's the one. I mean, there is tremendous power in knowing what the purpose to everything is. Great power, great clarity. What sets apart Christ as Lord in my life so that when I go out into that world, what happens? He's seen. Folks, I'm going to say something kind of shocking. It's a little bit of a difficult quote. But our goal is not to pray an evil world away. Our our goal is not to avoid the evil world. Folks, our goal is to engage it. Our goal is to go out there and live clearly and profoundly and faithfully for Jesus Christ. That's not a call to being perfect. Sometimes people need to know how you live for Christ when you're not perfect. That's not a call to put a big plastic smile on your face. Sometimes people need to see what it looks like to have hope when you're hurt. Hope when you're at the bottom. Hope when there's no answers. And you know what? If and when you and I do that, then comes the fourth and the greatest opportunity in our lives, the reason we've been left on this planet. So that maybe at the end of some days, somebody walks up to us and says, how do you have hope? See, you and I are figuring, how do we attack the world? How do we change the world? How do we avoid the world? Jesus says, would you just go out there and live for me? So that maybe a few of them out there say, hey, how do you have what you have? Could you, could you share that with me? That's what we're doing, folks. We're a people who live and share hope. Let's be real careful that we don't become another offended group in America. Let's be very purposeful that we don't become another offended group in America that is crying, why won't you acknowledge me? Why won't, why won't you take care of my values? Why won't you come rub me on the tummy and tell me I'm good? Why won't you come and validate my life? I'm offended. Folks, Jesus didn't call you to go out in the world and be offended. He called you to go out in the world and live for him so that maybe someone says, how do you have what you have? How do you have what you have? Listen, the world doesn't need help being offended. They got it figured out. The world doesn't need help being angry. They've got it figured out. The world doesn't need help gossiping and being negative and running everything down. They got it figured out. What they do need to know is how do you follow Jesus through all this garbage? How do you still end up having hope at the end of that? And then did you hear that command? Always be ready to give that hope. Are you? You know, if I go by statistics, I'm not saying something about you individually or even our church. It just If I go by statistics, th- then the answer would be no. Most of us are not ready to share that hope. If somebody walks up to me at the end of work yesterday and says, and you tell me how to have Christ, I, I won't be ready to do that. It'll kind of freak me out, really. Jesus said to be ready. What are you doing to get ready? What are you doing to be prepared to give that hope? You know what a lot of times we do, at least what I experienced over the last 25 years, is we call the hired hitman. Pastor, could you come share with my neighbor? 
And you know what my answer is? Yes, I'd love to. That's awesome. Matter of fact, you want to know something, folks? I can share the gospel better than most of you. I mean, a lot better. I can probably deal with more issues than most of you can deal with. I can probably answer more stupid questions about the Bible than most of you can. I can probably quote more verses. I can share the gospel better in two minutes, and I can share the gospel better in 20 minutes. That doesn't mean I'm the better opportunity for the person who walks up to you. You know why? Because it's not my life they've been watching. It's not my life that they were intrigued by. It's not my life that they trust. It's your life that intrigued them. It's your life that said, I, I want to know something about this. You know, I know probably a lot of us right now think, well, nobody's ever walked up and asked me that. I wouldn't say that out loud. That would be what we call a bad thing. Because you and I have one goal for Monday, May 8th. And that is to live in such a way that I create the possibility, that I leave open the opportunity that somebody would say, would you tell me about that? Maybe it'll happen once before I die. Maybe it'll happen ten times before I die. Maybe it'll happen a hundred times before Christ returns. But that's all I want to happen tomorrow. I want to handle my finances, handle my marriage, handle my kids. I, I want to I relate with a church. I want to relate with a government. I want to deal with... I want to deal with everything so that anybody and everybody that is watching, I leave open the opportunity. They might say, how do you have what you have? And, and folks, you don't have to be perfect for that to be there. You don't have to be holier than thou. You don't have to walk on water. You don't have to be the pastor. I know, I make it look like you really should be, right? No, you... You know what? You, you cannot... This will not happen on accident. This happens on purpose. This only happens when that is my purpose in living tomorrow. Oh, I've got other purposes. Fighting with my mate. Scared about the bills. Well, handle those so that that opportunity is still there. You see, it's, this is a simple and it's kind of cliche-ish, but, but folks, there are so many things going on in our lives, especially in a broken and suffering world. I mean, it's just real easy for other things to seep in there, right? I mean, folks, my, my great purpose in life is to live for Jesus. But if you come up and punch me in the nose, guess what? I got a new purpose. I've got, there's something new I'm very, very, very interested in at this moment. I mean, I'd like not to get punched in the nose again. Right? You see, you see what happens? As things enter our lives, as difficulties and problems and stresses start entering, you and I can be thinking, live for Jesus, live for Jesus. But we're getting pummeled. We're getting pummeled with the suffering. And so I've got to tell myself every day, live for Christ, live for Christ, live for Christ. Whatever you do, however you fail, leave the door open that anybody who's watching might still ask, how do you have what you have? And folks, there is no way that we're going to do any of this alone. That's why life is better connected. Let me tell you something. If church for you is, is some music and a sermon that you pop in and get every so often, you will abandon Christ. 
you will not endure. You, you, you will fail. You will leave them because the cost is too great. It's too difficult. It's too discouraging. It, you won't do it. That's why there's not a single verse in the New Testament where God challenges how strong you and I can be alone. But that's why there's hundreds of verses in the New Testament says, I want you to be strong together. When you've been beat up out there all week, you need a place where, hey, there's people who will love me. There's people who believe like I believe. There, there's people who will pray for me. There's people who will tell me, hey, guys, I'm, I'm meeting with this guy at work. We're going to coffee. I think I'm going to try to share the gospel with him. What do I do? Do you have a friend you can say, what do I do? Do you have a friend that you can say, hey, what do I say? What do I, what do I share with them? This life is better and connected is not, is not a game. It's not a neat thing. It's not just for pizza and football. This is, for, this is for more than surviving. It's for thriving in Christ in a world. I mean, we know where this all ends up, don't we? Life is better connected, and it's our only way to thrive in Christ as we walk through this world. Listen, I know there may be some of you in here today, you're maybe for the first time in your life, you're kind of checking out the claims of Christ. Maybe for the first time in a while, you're trying to re-engage with church and understand what that's all about. And you, you, you've been coming for a while and you're, you don't want to be engaged. You're, you kind of want to be kind of quiet and hidden as you're just kind of waiting. Hey, that's fine. I hope this is a place you can hide. That's a quotable, isn't it? <laughs> I hope this is a place you can hide and you can kind of come in and watch and process and figure this out. But I would tell you this, if you're still doing the same thing two years from now, you're not, you're not getting there. If God's moving, if God's speaking, he's always pulling us closer together, never saying, hey, you can get through this every now and then. Just drop in, get the message, get the song and get out. This only happens on purpose and it's super hard. And that's why I said do it together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you, would you guide each of us in what we think through and how we live on purpose for you? God, I pray every one of us, when we wake up and enter a new day tomorrow, we're thinking one thing. How do I set apart Christ as Lord in my life? How do I leave the opportunity to share him always open in my life? God, Guide us to think about that. Discipline us to make that what we're working on each day. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.